we had a very exciting day as far as sightings. I saw so much wildlife today and had so much fun. You come up here and you're like, holy moly, there was, I don't know, we at least saw three monster groups that had anywhere from 25 to 75 animals, right? That you show up in the dark. Yeah. You get to your spot in the dark. Mm -hmm. You do not get move, low. Belly crawl <laughs> through, <laughs> through the rattlesnakes and, uh, and cactus. These birds are so focused on other males. Yeah. Right, that I see this. This thing, I mean, all they're seeing is grass. So you lean it back a little bit and then they catch a reflection of themselves. It's game on them. Here we are. Welcome to the Wild and Exposed podcast. And today, we are here in early spring together in Wyoming to film all kinds of wildlife. And we had a very exciting day as far as sightings. I saw so much wildlife today and had so much fun. And I want to thank Ron Hayes for being our host here and showing us around this amazing country. And Michael Morrow's on board and myself, Mark Raycroft, and we're having fun out here at day one, and it's supposed to be spring. But it sounds like that's changing back to winter, which is something I've been used to lately. I must say it was nice flying into Colorado Colorado yesterday, picked up by somebody wearing shorts and a t-shirt. That was so <laughs> strange, but welcomed. And it was beautiful in Wyoming today, but it sounds like tonight's weather's going to change, which is going to make some for some excitement or alterations to the next day or two's planning we'll see how it goes how it unfolds but um, well, hold on before you go any further stop me stop me that's typical though right for any photo trip because you never know what's going on right? oh, so yeah. you always got to go right. in everything you just can't say oh at eight o'clock tomorrow morning we, we want to be able to do this that. we want to be able to do that yeah but yeah. i think what makes it fun is being able to know that it's a we fly by the seat of our pants but we're relying on Ron for everything. Yeah, he's gonna make it work. Yeah, right. It's all yeah. it's all on him. Exactly. Yeah, we just <laughs> I mean we're here. Ride, but we're off. willing to shift I'll and shut jive. the snow off. Turn the rain well, off. Get maybe things maybe the out. snow will make for day three amazing landscape maybe. for the background. It would make for some yeah for the animals or birds that mm -hmm. we're after. And I saw so many whitetails today. I didn't expect that, and lots of wild turkeys. That was cool unfortunately saw lots it's going on but you know we can't always be at the at the right place at the right time right. to get the footage you know and that's a big part of our of what we deal with and the weather is part of that too right so you didn't talk about whitetails very much no I, it doesn't I did not you know and i think those. that's why you come up here and you're like holy moly there was i don't know we at least saw three monster groups that had anywhere from 25 to 75 animals right yes it, easy yeah. And that was three and major these, groups, but yeah. then there were other groups all over the place. Yeah, and the deer population, the whitetail population, I should say, in our area is, is enormous. I just kind of assumed that every everywhere was the same way. Um, you know, coming from... Not that visible. Spot that's, yeah, exactly. It, it's wide open here, which is the difference. And so people see a lot more wildlife than you typically would somewhere like back east. Mm -hmm. Where there's a lot, you know, a lot more trees, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's it is something that you take for granted. Uh, pronghorn population. That's the other thing. That was cool. We didn't even talk about. It. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pronghorn population. If you 
stick a pin in Casper, Wyoming and right. make a 150 degree radius, 75% of the world's pronghorn population is no kidding. With, within that circle. Can I make a confession? This is about wildlife. Tell me. It's, it's a safe confession. <laughs> but I've been in this profession for 25 years and I've been asked probably once or twice a year for pronghorn images and despite all my background and all the fun I've had all these years, uh, today was the day I saw my first pronghorn antelope. Really? Yeah. Well, over really? the next yeah. few days, you're going to see a lot more. Well, I saw plenty <laughs> today. That was very cool. I, I, it was yeah. uh, exciting. And so, you know, as a biologist, uh, being so passionate about wildlife and animals, it's always a thrill mm. to see a new species. And, and so that was cool today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That was, I had no idea. But I guess it's like kind of a private, private guy that way. (laughs) (laughs) So I've seen New Mexico, Mm -hmm. and then I've seen Colorado pronghorn. Obviously, Wyoming, Montana. Where else are they? Well, there's Saskatchewan. They make it over in Saskatchewan. There's there's a population in Alberta. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a little bit more minimal. Um, Idaho, eastern Oregon, and I believe eastern Washington. There's and it's all the same not, species because I think in New Mexico, New it was Mexico a different species, is a different right? subspecies, yeah, a subspecies, mm-hmm. yeah, smaller yet, being further south. They yeah. actually antler smaller body being further south, yes. Okay, antler growth is pretty similar, and they they look because they are smaller bodied, they look a little bit bigger. It's kind of same concept as you look at a Texas whitetail, sure. right? You know, 140 inch deer looks like right. A lot, a lot bigger deer. Right. You said antler. Or, mm-hmm. excuse me, horn girl. Horn, right? Mm-hmm. But the it's and the actually, only it's horn not, that actually... It's the it's only different. horned animal that sheds. Yeah. 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 And it's, so it's actually hair and... Uh, the outer layers, the sheath, the keratin yep, sheath. The keratin and, and the hair grows and then the keratin hardens the hair and then it, you know, it blackens in the sun. And then uh, every, every winter... About the end of November, early December, those sheaths will shed off, and the reason that they shed off is because there's there's hair growth going on underneath them, testosterone decreases, you know, like mm-hmm. other animals, and that outer sheath sheds off, and then that new one is already growing up underneath it. Because if you take the sheath off uh, any other time of year, the horn is actually white. Right. And then, uh, but when it falls off in December, they'll just have a single black. It will be black. It will already be black. Yeah, the hair growing underneath. I didn't realize. I learned something else today, too. So the sun plays an effect on on darkening. On the hardening and darkening. Yeah, but that that hair growth underneath it, when it sheds off, it darkens immediately. I mean, it's it's pretty quick. Wow. Interesting, right? Why did they evolve like that? What's going on there? I mean, we've got these horned animals, we've got antlered animals, run fast. and now these guys yeah. are kind of in between. They've got horns, they've got this base, yeah. but and it's obviously like hair and keratin, like we said, like They're our unique. fingernails are keratin, that kind of substance, but it, the sheath coat falls off, mm-hmm. right? And the other so question they, people ask is, you know, why are they so fast? Because the predators here, you know, we don't have a cheetah, and so why do they need to run 55 miles an hour? And they, you know, they live in the open country, so... There are times where, you know, a mountain lion, a, a coyote can sneak up, get mm-hmm. close, and they have to be able to evade them quick. Right. But, yeah, what's the necessity for what that about, kind of what speed? What about birds? 
I mean, uh, yeah, golden they, eagles actually right. pre- golden and bald, but primarily golden out in the open country, uh, predate the fawns specifically, but they'll kill adults as well. We had a conversation today about they'll they'll hit them, knock them down, and then they just start breaking down the muscle along the spine, right. and then they start to damage the spinal cord, and when the animal falls over, then. I've been here for half a day, and I've learned quite a bit about pronghorn <laughs> antelope. <laughs> what was the other thing you said? Their eyesight is incredible, oh, right? Yeah, their eyesight. Some people speculate between 8 and 10 power binocular. That's that's what they're looking at you with. Hmm. And so, you know, movement. They're a very curious animal, so sometimes that eyesight will bring them closer. Uh, my grandfather used to talk about just waving a white flag. You wave a white flag up in the air, and the, the antelope will actually come see what it is they've got a lot of white and when they get excited you know it's not like a white tail they don't have the flaggy tail but the hair on the the back of their haunches will actually flare out and so when that hair flares it's you know it's a danger signal i'm taking notes that's another thing i didn't know you'll see that i'm supposed to know about this stuff you'll probably (laughs) see that happen before you leave right Mm mm-hmm Wow, but wind would play a factor for them. So you, would, in that Definitely. situation, if you were waving something white, you'd still need the wind to your favor. Otherwise, they'd figure it out. They figure it out. Are very visual. They. Oh really? So, they're not. You don't have to play the wind as much as. As a deer. A deer or or an elk. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right. Oh, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, caribou are like that. But no, you actually no, you have to play the wind for caribou too. So so they're mm-hmm. kind of an exception that way. Most ungulates have great sense of smell in there. Yeah, and I, I okay. think their sense of smell is probably strong enough. They just don't. Okay. Well, they maybe they just trust their hooves. They're so they fast. trust the speed, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun to see today. We, we saw one herd of, of pronghorns that were, I don't know if it was 40 or 50 when they all moved together. It was fluid. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't flat out, but just yeah. for me, it was very cool. Yeah, thank you for day one. It's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. we no, saw a lot today. I don't think a single image was taken, but well, we I, did. I see did a lot. take a couple of that group and move and oh, movement, true. but you not did. something I'm necessarily going to show to people because it wasn't the perfect <laughs> scenario. But it was that situation yeah. where it's like I have not had the opportunity to, to photograph this before, so mm-hmm. we'll start here and go go from there. Right? Yeah, you bet. Try and improve it from from that point. So. Um, yeah, it was cool. We saw a lot today, and, and uh, I just enjoyed seeing the countryside, too, mm-hmm. here. First time in Wyoming, as well. Much so, more, hopefully. Yeah, well, there are days to come, <laughs> and if the different with the weather patterns coming in, we'll see a variety of uh, different scenarios mm-hmm. for that, too. So, um, tomorrow, if we do get to play, I mean, that's a big question mark for tomorrow. We may have to wait a day if it's that, mm-hmm. that much snow coming in. That's when the whole thing is supposed to be spring. But it's going back to winter for a day or two, which could help us for some images. And and going after one of the primary interests of the trip were the, the sage grouse legs. Yep. And, you know, I think it would be awesome at the end of the trip if we had the opportunity to photograph them on fresh snow and then have that melt and then also have it look like spring. Right. Yeah. And within a couple of get... days on the leg. I mean, that could happen. Oh, yeah. So strong likelihood. Yeah. yeah. So this could this turn of events might be to our favor. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, yeah, the sage grouse on snow, they're a spectacular looking bird. They're they're a, in the springtime, mm-hmm. and the the rest of the year they're pretty dull looking or can be. But in the springtime, they're the males are spectacular. Is you know those 
bellows develop and a big white chest is is visible and uh, they're very unique yeah you got that big print up there and and, and again I, I joked about this earlier sorry to interject but i just have to say it it's like a creature from star wars yeah it's always... just just with all the spikes coming out of the tail and the way the head looks and mm -hmm. i'm waiting for it to talk like yoda or 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 something <laughs> you know what they should talk like is the ptarmigan Oh, I love how Tarmigan talk. I talk <laughs> Tarmigan all the time. <laughs> Screaming. Hill, you can't say anything about that. Um, <laughs> I love Tarmigan talk. Do, what do they do? They have aside from the bellow sounds. Are do they? No, it's primarily demons? they. The females, the hens will cluck. Okay. And they'll cluck when they fly off, kind of an alarm. I see. Okay. An alarm cluck, but the vast majority of the noise on the lek is is going to be the bellows and. Right. You know, um, when they're alerted. The bellows obviously are absorbed back into into the chest and before they fly. Well, they have uh, to do that probably to fly, yeah, right? Yep. And you'll hear, you know, once they relax again, you'll just you'll hear them it's taking calm. breaths in and right. and filling those bellows back up, and that's pretty much the only noise you'll hear on and the. You bellows. can hear that when they're. Oh yeah, filling them up. You have it to sounds be to like that. somebody. Well, if the wind's not blowing, you know, you can be. 50, 60 yards away and still be able to hear it. No kidding. Wow, there's just... awesome video potential. Oh, man. Yeah. Right? If you video can... should be awesome. Yeah. But it's key to get the audio, too, right? right? Because you want to yeah. tell I mean, that story. You can so... capture it with the video. You get the audio component we won't get with video. And you, you can will... tell. They'll they'll hunker down. Like if a raptor flies over, for instance, they'll hunker down and you'll, you'll see their eyes and there'll be, you know, minimal movement. And then as soon as they relax, all of a sudden they stand up and, and you'll just hear it sounds like somebody kind of sucking on a straw. It's just, and you'll hear that and that right. the bellows refill and off on. we go. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're a unique bird, impressive yeah, looking very. bird that for, mm -hmm. on their legs the way they display, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I look forward to seeing, oh, here we go again, my first sage grouse. Oh, yeah. That's right? true. Right? I have not Me had too. that experience. I've watched it plenty of times on TV, and, right? Oh. Or seen video, but mm -hmm. I've never seen one myself. Yeah, it'll be fun. Well, I'll actually, just... I take that back. I have seen one. Have you? I forgot. Where was this? Where? In northwestern Colorado, when I was photographing mm -hmm. uh, wild horses. Oh yeah. And oh. I was driving along down a two. Was it spring? Room. Was it mating season? Were they? <clears throat> yeah, they were on the lek. Okay. I had no idea that it was a lek there. Right. And I saw them, and I thought, well, I'll just sneak on over there yeah. and get me some pictures. But there, you... No so I guess that is a good point. We haven't done it before. Mm -hmm. You've done this a bunch. What do we need to be prepared for? So when we show up, as I understand it, you show up in the dark. Yeah. You get to your spot in the dark. Mm -hmm. You do not get move. low. <laughs> stay low and stay still. And you have to be camouflaged. To yep. some degree. Yep, to some degree. It, and then when the birds, obviously the birds aren't there yet, so they'll start showing up, right? So sometimes they'll be, Just tell us, walk us they'll be the whole on the lek, you know, before daylight, but um, visibility, even for them, you know, like for a pronghorn antelope, we talked about their vision, but if you can get out at dusk, their vision is obscured mm -hmm. because of the light mm -hmm. and so grouse are are similar in that it's you know they're not like an owl they don't have eyes like an owl um so you can 
have a little bit of movement in the pre-dawn hours and they'll be they'll be strutting you know probably when we arrive there'll be birds on the lake um, but you want to just settle in and it is usually fairly crisp so it's tough to sit what, still what time like how keen are these guys to be up and going these birds what, what time are we going to be out there well we'll be up well before daylight yeah we'll be um probably about five okay See? so but that's put that in perspective that's wildlife photography commitment yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. say about five but what does that mean pre-sunup so, so sunup is about no it's are we a, talking an hour hour to an hour and a half before sunrise so really? we're sitting there freezing our butts off with minimal movement yes for an mm -hmm. hour and a half but there's stuff going on there's stuff so going there's on there's to take your mind things to of. watch and yeah and you, by the time the sun comes up and it's time to shoot you'll have observed enough behavior to to know what you're looking for and mm -hmm. what kind of shots you want that kind of thing so you'll be able to see all of that going on before the sun comes up and then you know once we have good light right when that sun creeps over the hill it's just spectacular those bellows are actually yellow uh, the chest is white and then when you get that sunrise hitting it's uh it's a pretty awesome sight for about a half an hour do they do they pay any attention to shutters? Probably not, eh? Would no, that be an issue. They, but, shutters have never been an issue. Movement definitely right, is. Sure. Yeah, and depending on where you are, um, you know, let me let me say first of all that most people that photograph sage grouse photograph them from a vehicle, and that is probably the best way to photograph them. Um, we were having a discussion a little bit earlier about numbers. And the sage grouse populations are declining. Mm -hmm. So the last thing you want to do is force birds away from their breeding ground. Um, so it's it's something that you have to be very careful of. And I'll be honest with you, if if the birds are moving off or it looks like we're going to push them, we may back off a little bit sure. and just let them relax, let them get used to us being there. Um, being on the ground with them, you want to, anytime you're photographing wildlife, you want to be as close to eye level as you can. So being on the ground with the sage grouse is, it's it's fun, but the importance of observing wildlife behavior is is more critical when you've got a, a species that is, you know, nearly a threatened species right now. Right. Um, and if if you're obstructing the breeding process at all, mm -hmm. then you've got to you know pull back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a privilege. Sacrifice you know, a the cool shot to, to see. And, and, yep, but yeah, exactly. No, in no way to me is you know, a photograph worth, right. you know, pushing them off their breeding opportunities, mm -hmm. especially with the population concerns. So no, it, it's, that's the benefit of our telephotos, but at the same right. time, we'll be very cognizant of, of how comfortable they are. And if, mm -hmm. if they're not, if something changes, then yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll pull back and, and Michael with his amazing, uh, reach with the video that surpasses the stills could maybe still work in that scenario and also i wanted to say quickly um mm -hmm. as well as knowing that you're going to be in the proximity doing video we've got to figure out some kind of cue that you can tell me if you want to get some audio of those bellows and i'll just oh, stop yeah. shooting because you don't want to hear my shutter, shutter going off yeah. all the time randomly so if, if there's like a window that you want to say hey shut down the still videos for 10 minutes just tug on your left ear and and i'll stop I'll, well i think I'll, what we'll do is i can take audio that i record at a later date or a later time so if we shoot for an hour and you guys feel like you got the stills then i'll just say okay i'll have an external audio recorder it won't go right into the camera because i'll be shooting most of this in slow-mo 
-hmm. and it doesn't record audio in okay. slow-mo. So All right. I'll take an external mic out there with a recorder and then we'll somehow let each other know and we'll just sit there and I'll watch. Well, tomorrow we you get that. Could, or the next day you could just hit me with a snowball. Yeah, okay. possibly. Slush Possibly. Sludge ball. <laughs> no, that's not good. Yeah, and the, the good. other thing is in the... We did this um, with another show is in those pre-dawn hours when, when nobody's shooting and all that activity's going on. That's when that's when the they audio. got the vast majority of their audio. Yeah. Oh, good that's point. Good because point. you can be You've recording while... You know when to do this. While we are just observing. Yeah. yeah. Makes, so the audio is the same whether the sun's up or right. sun's down. Yeah. And matching it up to the behavior is, is a little bit more difficult probably. Right. But, you know, that's why you get paid the big bucks. That's <laughs> I don't know about that. So I guess, obviously, we don't want to screw it up. And I'm super mm -hmm. nervous about that, right? And I, you guys are going in with relatively small cameras. Come I've on. got this monster thing. Oh, right? I see so, from that perspective. Okay, I accept that. So I'm just, <laughs> for the last week, I've been going over in my mind, okay, how do I grab my tripod, grab this 30-pound camera, right, and slowly inch like forward. inch forward in there do you start I, I guess if you could just lay it out so you just we get there we drive up how far are we from the lek when we drive up um typically it it depends on how early we get there um and it also depends on the weather because you know these these birds are that we are going to be photographing are all on private land so in an effort to respect the landowner especially after two days of, of spring snow and rain um, depends on how muddy the roads are as well. So we've got to, you know, take that into consideration. So we, we may be walking in as much as a half mile. Okay. So um, we walk in half mile, obviously half mile out, we're walking straight up, carrying, doing everything. We don't right. have to worry about it. At what point is it a hundred yards where, okay, the Lex's there, we're a hundred yards away. This is the point where we just need to slowly just kind of saunter. I, I usually slow down a couple hundred yards and then uh, just watch the birds. So you're letting, if, are they aware of us or are they completely unaware? They, sh they should be at that point. They should be oblivious to us being there. Um, but and even in the pre-dawn hours, their chest is white and you can see that through a pair of binoculars even. And if you don't see that anymore, you know they're... They're nervous and they're they're shutting down, so, so just, we just hold our distance. Don't don't close distance any any more than what we have already, and then as they start again, you just kind of move forward. Okay, so we're a hundred yards out. We're probably still standing up. Then we start inching forward. When we're inching forward, is that the point when you get down low and you're starting to belly crawl? Yeah, in yeah. there. So you got a hundred yards of belly crawl Not, ahead of us. Well, yeah, I mean. For Mark's sake, yes, we're gonna belly crawl <laughs> through, the, through the rattlesnakes and uh, and cactus. Um, no, I, typically I just you know I tend to walk on my knees more okay. than more than belly crawl or or a real low walk, especially in low light. You can afford to be a little bit higher. The other thing that I do that I don't know if it works or not, but these grouse are always around livestock. Um, so when I'm moving, especially if there's, you know, more than just myself there, uh, when I'm moving, I'll, we'll all move single file and we'll be fairly close together. So, you know, we look like an animal. Um, 
yeah, a large smart. ungulate. You know, you you look like a cow, so to speak. Um, so we'll move in or single file, nice moose. close together. Could it be a moose instead of a cow? Or <laughs> for your sake, yeah, we'll call it a moose. Okay, okay. <laughs> sorry. Thank you. That's important. Thank you. Um, and then you know that makes it a little bit easier to close distance. That's a great tip, and I've done that with people, even like yeah. filming moose or caribou. Yeah. On that first approach, it's like just get behind me if my son's with me or somebody. So mm -hmm. we look as much like one body versus two yep. because that changes the game for prey species. So yeah, yeah exactly. that's, a, that's a great pointer. So you know how they make those decoys that are that are like like a window shade, right? You just flip them out and they're just right. one dimensional. Fan. If you had one of those, do you think it would help? I don't know. I've never tried that. Um, I have used <laughs> a cow. That a real cow cut out of oh, a, no. a cutout yeah of a four by eight foot sheet of plywood and when you're in a really tough spot and there's just no cover at all um work behind that cow but the, the problem is is it's heavy so it's something you want in place you don't want to have to carry it in you want it in place prior to and then once you get there you can move forward and then you just cut holes out of the the cow silhouette and that's your shoot through ports basically can I tell you one story That's before great. we go any further? It just reminded me of this. All right, I, I guess. So I'm filming a TV show in Africa. And when you're in Africa, you got the hunter, and then you've got the trackers, and you've got a professional hunter, and then two camera guys. And they were hunting buffalo. So there's this big herd of buffalo out in this big open area. And the tracker's like... He goes over and he cuts this little tree. Okay. He stands it in front of him. <laughs> right. He's like, he tells us all, just get in the line behind me. Right. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. We're not going to walk into a herd of buffalo with a tree in front of us in a big like centipede line. Sure enough, we walked right into that whole herd of buffalo and all we had was that tree in front of us. And we're just like, it, it had to look so funny because we're all just like, sure. Like but it worked. Right? But it worked. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> along with that, I got, I was sent. Uh, it's called a ghost blind, and it's basically mirrored a mirrored piece of plastic. Oh yes, yeah, I've seen. Those. Have you seen those? Yes. Yeah. So I like was waist high skeptical. Folding blind, right? right. Okay. Yeah. So I was I was a skeptic, initially. But <laughs> these birds are so focused on other males. Yeah. Right. I see this. This thing, I mean, all they're seeing is grass. So you lean it back a little bit, and then they catch a reflection of themselves. It's game on. I mean, you, yeah. it's extreme close-up time, and, and a lot of times too close to even photograph, but it's just, it's fun. Right. Yeah, they came out a few years ago. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. That would work. I, I thought about picking one up, not for birds, but yeah. to see how it would no, work. They're, that... they're effective, yeah. surprisingly effective, yeah, it, makes... except in the sunlight course right yeah all of a sudden yeah <laughs> and you're blind and everything in sight but yeah i mean if you've got your back to the sun and you're right. approaching it hmm. i've done it with several different species and right. it seems to be effective so let's go back then so we're 100 yards out we're crawling on our knees mm -hmm. stop stop sorry for saying. Okay. i have a hack okay I have a hack. <laughs> what's that a new one today i got for the first time as a wildlife photographer, I bought big, heavy-duty, plastic oh, exterior 
gel foam interior knee pads. So we're going to have to crawl in on our knees across this hard ground, frozen ground, snowy ground. And now we're going to be comfortable, or at least I will be. I guess you guys have knee pads too. No. So lesson learned, and Hack is going to be taken <laughs> advantage of tomorrow because I'm going to go buy that other pair we saw. Because I have a little foam pad, right? right. I'm thinking we'll just get into our spot oh, pre-dawn. So. And I didn't think, I thought the birds came in, like once the sun was up, that's yeah, when no, the birds like came to the left. Prairie but, chickens, prairie chickens are a complete different species. So you'll get in, get into your blind or get into the area uh, if you're gillied or, or have a drop blind, whatever, set up. And then prairie chickens, when the sun comes up, it's just a everything shows up at once and sage grouse are a little bit different there's they'll start pre-dawn and and sharp tails they'll start pre-dawn as well i mean so we better there's several things here so i think we got to talk about each one of those birds as you just said right because yeah i think you say like i say prairie chickens all the time and right. i could be meaning grouse, sage grouse i could or, be meaning yeah. sharp tails so mm-hmm. I think, I guess what we could do is just show pictures of each one of these birds when we do this podcast. And That'd be great. Yeah. And we put up the yeah, video. Yeah, we can do that. Just to show the differences. Ron's but, got those. Yeah. You, got are all those species two. in Wyoming? Uh, prairie chickens, once in a while, they'll have a prairie chicken show up. But now typically they're a little bit further east. And I think um, eastern Colorado has prairie chickens as well. Yeah, and, and that's maybe why I'm talking about yeah. more. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so. But not in Wyoming. All right, so th- well, let's do that. Let's just show the pictures that way everybody knows. Mm-hmm. I don't have the knee pads. I don't have the hack, right? I have a foam pad that I thought I would just set down and then kneel on that. But I'm going to have to go take advantage of the hack tomorrow yeah. and get some knee pads. Do you use knee pads? I don't. Well, I have well, some that I can... You're a while ago. I can just slide in. get the knee pads. Well, because you're oh, hey, soft. What? <laughs> it was my concern. I don't... <laughs> This is going to come back around. I'm feeling this. So am I. I know. And I know when. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Softy, can you catch up? <laughs> All right. No, hey, you, I've, I have. No, I. Filming, I'm, you know, we get down low on subjects so often. Yeah. And I have knelt down thinking it was just dirt and had one little sharp piece of a stone and my knee right. just, ah, right? You just feel that. So yeah. in a situation where we know we're going to be on our knees. Why yeah, and not? I have uh, in my pants that you can slide in a knee pad into the pant leg. Well, you shouldn't have told us that because you would have so. looked so tough with it. With it. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, so, so now let's go back. Right. We're so we're we're say 50 yards out. Mm-hmm. And 50 Going yards. Knee crawl. Typically, 50 yards is is kind of the buffer. So you really have to observe behavior and then. Uh, you can, you know, I've, I've been as close as, you know, five to seven yards. It's tough to d- distinguish, but that was because the bird came to me. It wasn't because I closed the distance that much on the bird and I would never, you know, inside 30 yards, there's no reason to push it any further and push those birds off the leck because once one goes, they're all going to go. Um, so and they you, don't come back. Sage grouse don't typically. So, well, they're, they're done. The next they're day gone, they will be. Yeah. Next day, yeah. yeah. So if they, you know, nobody would ever want to bump them off. Right. But if, if lesson learned and it happened, then they right. would still come back and perf- and perform their mating rituals yep. the next day. The next day, okay. yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, going back to the other species, prairie chickens and and sharp-tailed grouse, um, 
if you bump sharp tails, you give them five minutes and they'll be back. And they are very flighty. If they see a raptor, you know, sometimes it'll look like it's about a half mile away, you know, maybe a little bit closer in the air, but sharp tails are gone. They're, they're fine in cover. Um, but you give them five, 10 minutes and they'll work right back into the lek and it's like nothing ever happened again. So these guys are gone. Yeah. It's sage not going to be till the next morning. They won't come back. Where do they go? They get to the sage. That's, that's their cover. I mean. So they just spend the rest of the day feeding, being yep. bird, doing what they do. Yep. But nothing to do with mating. No. I mean, they may, I've seen them fly off and then they'll start strutting in a different location, but they don't come back to the lek. And the lek is where typically the females, you don't necessarily see them, but they're in the brush around the lek. And so we should explain that what a lek is. A lek, yeah. And we, I, did we talk about this before? I'm not sure. You might have touched on it briefly, but it yeah, warrants it given what we're doing yeah. here. To... A lek is just an area where they, where they come to mate. It's, it's you, like it's like a little like a, a grid of, of of these little defended territories in this bigger space mm-hmm. that maybe for sage grouse what would it be? Would it be ten square yards? Yeah, sage grouse are a little bit more mobile. That's why they're a lot tougher to photograph on the ground. Uh, sharp tail, you can sit in one spot. And you know they're going to approach you. They're moving around the lek all the time, but they're always in that circle. Right. Sage grouse, you know, if a if a female comes out of the brush, a hundred yards away, everything turns and oh, they're gone. Right? They yeah. go to her and start mm-hmm. it again. But, yep. So each male bird has a space of what would you say a, a, a couple of feet well, that they defend, and then yeah, it's not necessarily the, the space as much as the personal bubble. Right. And some of the more, you know, the more uh, dominant males have a bigger the bubble is Okay. Yeah, if you come anywhere close, you're sure. going to get tagged. So this guy might have 2 feet over here. This right. guy's got 6 feet because he's yep. more dominant and they just they protect that space yep. and they strut in it and try to attract females now. Mm-hmm. When you think of, of other birds like birds of paradise which will build this little nest area and do mm-hmm. their dance and their feather displays and try to lure the female in with, with all their attractive foliage for breeding purposes. Um, the strutting of the gross is similar as far as the uh, yep. mating ritual and performance. Does the hen, the female, come right into that male's bubble f- to reproduce? Sometimes then? they do, yeah. Okay, so it, it does happen yep. in, in his defended sp- but territory. But, you know, if she were... If she were in the escape cover in the sagebrush and gets to the edge, those males don't necessarily give her a chance to come to them. They'll go to her just to make okay. sure that, you know, so the breeding the, takes the place. shifts? To they the can word. shift, yeah. So, but the dominant bird would still have a bigger bubble than the other ones? Or are they reestablish? The dominant bird is still, I mean, when the dominant bird shows up, everything else is going to part okay. the Red Sea unless, okay. you, know, you know, like an elk, if there's something that I think I'm, similar i think i'm as tough as you then we'll have a fight fight. yeah so you'll have that you'll have Mm -hmm. not necessarily there could be one or two or three dominant birds yep and there could be one female standing between three birds and they're all just kind of strutting circles around her right quite literally and then she once she relaxes yeah right i mean that's the way it is she makes the choice yep it's the way it is for all species (laughs) (laughs) right it is for one reason or other, the female assesses yeah. the male's fitness and chooses her mate. And so mm-hmm. they're performing, and she's going to choose the fittest right. individual. Now, will multiple females show up 
And yes. if that's the case, will there be like there could be a pair here, there yeah, could be you a pair could, here, there could yep. be a pair here. That's a good question. I've seen it, and actually, when we were filming that other show with a friend of of Mike and I's, um, there was actually two males and a female here, and then about twenty yards away, there's two males and another female, and then about five yards from them, there's one male, two females, and so once female A, the closest female makes her choice and settles in and it's that's actually the only time I've ever been able to photograph the actual breeding the other males will separate and kind of go join the other females and try to you know try to them. convince them yes the other females don't necessarily wait for the dominant bird to become free from mating again no. they select the next bird in line and potentially and mate, I mean it, it may right. they may copulate more than once and if they but sure. if they don't then that male may just leave right. and go to the other party right that was my next question yeah. so they, they they will do it more than once it's not like just one and sometimes done. yep it's just they're going to be fit i mean they're yep. just going to do it as long as it takes to be successful in breeding mm. which now, is good <laughs> the other thing is these leks are very traditional right they so are yeah it, they'll come back to the same exact i mean you know mark was talking about a tense 10 yard 10 mm-hmm. yards piece of ground they will come back to the same piece of earth but they're not as um, annually they're not as stuck at that location as as other species so it, you know it might move 100 yards or it might move 200 yards sage grass specifically you mean sage grass versus sharp tail but once they pick their spot right that's where they're going to be for that year Oh, so what, where they were last year, there's a, there's a good chance they'd return to that lecking ground this year, yep. but there's not a guarantee it could it's be 100 guaranteed. yards. It's not it could be a little bit off. Okay, I see. Yep. But not miles. No, no. It's within, what, a couple hundred yards? Yeah, I, with a couple exceptions. Um, there's one, actually it was always my favorite lek to photograph, um, and they put a wind farm right in the middle of it and all the way around the lek. And that lek is done. Oh really? So Did you see birds? Have you seen birds there at all? Have not. Okay. No, I've been back multiple times because mm-hmm. it was it was a great location. You had mm-hmm. a mountain that you could use for your background, and your back was to the sun. The mountain was right, you Perfect. know, on the other side of the other side of the bird, mm-hmm. and so it was a great location. But yeah, it's a done deal. So describe the topography. Like, what are we expecting to see? Is this pinion juniper and some sage flats, or is this all just sage flats? <laughs> this is or grass is this, and sagebrush, yeah. Is That's it rolling hills? Is it yeah, flat? Yeah, it'll be is rolling it? hills. Um, the particular one, the one particular lake where we're going to go is, it, it kind of rolls off into a little bowl. It's a wide bowl, and there's a like a dry reservoir bed in the bottom of it, and that's where they typically set up is is right around that dry reservoir bed um the ground that you'll typically find sage grouse in is is it has escape cover has sagebrush close by um, but it's an open spot within the sagebrush and that's because you know typically the the females are seeing that big white breast they can hear them but they're also seeing that big white breast from a long ways away and that'll draw the females in yeah so let's take 40 square miles in this area 
-hmm. How many leks would be in that 40 square miles? Well, if you go northeast of here, which is the direction that we're going to go, um, I can think of four that we would we would go past on the way, and and we'd be going about forty miles. So, forty square miles. You know, there could be ten to fifteen leks in that space. Could be um, when the population's down. Obviously, the number of leks decreases. And the number of birds that per lek can fluctuate because some of those birds that, you know, they may have had a lek here. Now the numbers have gone down here, so they're kind of going off to find the, the higher numbers with the higher potential for being able to mate. How long does this go on? So it starts, what, we're here April 5th. Yeah, it typically starts when late. When does it start? Late March. You'll hit peak numbers kind of toward the middle of April and then they'll they'll strut into the first weeks of May the reason that I thought we should um, utilize this week didn't know what the weather was going to do when we talked about this but typically there's more females early so if they go out and they have a successful nest they won't return to the lek obviously they'll be raising chicks um, but if they have an unsuccessful nest or if predators get to get to the nest, uh, you know, swift fox, raptors, ravens are all skunks. nest robbers. Skunks, for sure, yeah. <laughs> Even the, the dancing skunk Even tonight. Even the dancing skunk, he'd be around looking for it. He'd sure. be looking for eggs. So Did we mention that's another skunk? That's another story. We'll, we will have to get to that. <laughs> I did so not expect to Another see missed that. opportunity. <laughs> How long does it take... Or, First of all, where do they build their nests? And then how long is the incubation? Build the nest in the sage. Uh, incubation, I don't know exactly. I believe it's about 20 days. So, And then they, how big of a clutch? They build it in the sage so they have food available to them right there because they'll eat the, the sage berries and, and, of course, insects. And, um, in a clutch, you can expect to see you know up to 10. Do uh, do they like turkeys lay an egg a day into the I nest? don't know that. I don't. Okay. And then the, and like then, the turkeys will and lay. And then start to incubate. Right. They lay yeah, all their after. eggs one a day and just the nest hopefully stays hidden and no predators find it. And then they lay and incubate for the 20 or 22 days. Or yeah. Turkeys are a similar uh, time span that way as well. But mm -hmm. And the females do I all the work. I can't answer that. They sit females on the nest. Females do all the work. They, yep. They're doing everything. Yep. They must. I mean, it'd be too much just to drop all those at once, right? <laughs> well, they, yeah. You've got to produce them, first of all. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, um, and then once the, once the clutch hatches, they don't leave the sagebrush. I mean, they're in deep, deep sage, mm -hmm. um, deep cover all the time because those, there are so many predators. Out, you know, you've got swift fox, coyotes, Bobcats. Uh, raptors, bobcats, skunks, snakes, mm -hmm. you know, just they're tremendous amount of predators. So they stay in the cover, you know, for the first several weeks of life. And then you, you know, you see them on the roadways and things like that. But it's after those chicks are, mm -hmm. are grown and are pretty good size. And then do, how do they study them? And as you know, monitoring the populations and stuff, or are they, Every year, is there some sort of study going on? Just they, yeah, the numbers and that sort of thing? Um, and that's one thing that, you know, as a photographer, you can help out with is 
because you know the game warden's biologist can't beat all of these leks all the time so if you are at a lek and photographing you know take the time to do a count for them they want to know how many males how many females on each lek on a given day and that helps provide the the biological information that they need you know to do their population and then i'm sure you share estimates. images too right because that's oh, yeah. really important yeah. for those guys to have yep. that kind of information mm -hmm. yeah give them images and and you know anytime you catch rare behavior that's definitely something you want to share and in turn sometimes they share back what's rare behavior uh breeding is rare behavior um there's a, a and i won't even come close to giving a location on this thing but there is a, a crossbreed between a sage grouse and a sharp-tailed grouse and we can put a picture of that guy up too he doesn't know what he is you have to wonder if that's just i mean i don't know this is a guess i'm throwing throwing something out here is if if a species is is population has got become so low that they don't find a mate you know there's speculation mm -hmm. about this whether or not polar bears have with grizzly bears and mm -hmm. have these crosses or not and whether they can breed is a whole other question but you know if they can't find a mate of their species and these right. birds are fairly similar not, not visible not, yeah, yeah then this can happen and wonder if it's a circumstance of that you know or whether it's just chance that two yeah, met, it's, you know who knows anybody's but it's some guess, speculation yeah. is, you know it's, it's worth reflecting on but there's been no proof that this bird has been able to procreate no, yeah. and I don't, you know, I don't even know. Hopefully, we'll find out this weekend if if he even made it through the winter. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so you saw him last year. Yep, I photographed him you last year. You haven't seen him this year. And nope, and the game warden hasn't seen him either, uh, yet. But, you know, birds show up some sooner, some later. Have you ever witnessed predation while you're on a lek? If a I, raptor comes over or. I have witnessed raptors making a run at birds often. I had a, a golden eagle. Actually, I was sitting on a, a sharp-tailed grouse lek, and it's kind of, there's a a ridge that comes out of this large draw. And the birds were alerted, and they relaxed and went back to, to dancing. And all of a sudden, this golden eagle came over that ridge, came out of the draw. He was flying real low under the radar, came out of the draw, and he almost flew in my pickup hmm. with me. He flew right over my cab, and that was amazing. But I, I thought he was going to get one of those birds for sure because they didn't have a clue he was there. He had come in so low that, you know, when he came over the ridge, it surprised every everybody, including myself. to see yeah. that behavior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that would be that right. one of those shots that you'd want to give to Absolutely. a biologist, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. but I've never observed a successful predation um, on while I've been on a lake. It's got to happen. Oh, I'm, yeah, you know it does. Especially because they're up white the big white breasts out in the middle of nothingness. You know, they're they're attracting everything, especially something with vision as good as a as a raptor. Well, talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> it is open country, prime habitat for raptors, right? Mm -hmm. So you got we saw what four bald eagles today? At least, yeah. Six. Six maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Red Golden tail. eagles, red tail, red tails. Mm -hmm. There's harrier. probably harrier. Yeah, we saw harrier. Yeah. There's probably um, there's still a few rough-legged hawks around. Most of them have migrated back north. Yeah. Um, the ferruginous hawks 
will get here and they are a big uh, chick predator because they usually get here later in the spring so they're not necessarily predate or predating on the on the lax but they definitely are taking some young birds have you ever seen a mammal come to a lek on the lek yeah i've seen a coyote come to the lek yeah actually last year and this is not a mammal but last year i got to a lek and got there late um it was just before daylight and i had a, a friend with me that had never seen grouse dancing and i guaranteed him i was talking this up the whole time as we're driving out guaranteed him we're going to see sage grouse and we got to the lek and there were seven golden eagles sitting on the lek and no sage grouse to be seen so seven golden eagles mature yeah. uh or was it like no, a family? there were two banded sir when i say banded white band around the tail so they're they're juveniles um but the rest were mature birds is that it was, typical behavior no when i think of eagles i think it's solitary or pairs well the golden yeah. golden eagles oh the young ones will come back to the nesting area not necessarily the nest site but they'll come back to the nesting area and sometimes you'll see you know today i believe the first pair of bald eagles that we saw there was juvenile that was actually in the area as well and so you don't know if that's you know one of their young last from year. last year that had just come back or you know they'll come back to the area they you know obviously they they're not mature enough to breed themselves so they'll just kind of hang out it's pretty cool coming to a new area right and oh, learning always. new stuff yeah because I mean, eyes wide people open. look at us yeah, and you know. think we're out there and we see everything and we don't we see things that we're interested in right things that we focus on mm-hmm. and then you go to a new place and it's like oh man there's all this stuff you got to learn and right. i mean you got you know g- general biology about a lot of things but you don't know specifics about most things well those mm-hmm. specifics make the difference in the good imagery right the good experience the good witness the observation if you don't know that you know it's it's just so much luck to have it happen you know and then with ron's yeah. insight and experience here that's a game changer for us that's that a pro it, tip right because you mm-hmm. want to find a ron mm-hmm. yeah you do yeah. It, well like if you and i showed up here right. or yeah i don't think we would it would take no. us two weeks to find a lek we First find some pronghorns and some whitetails <laughs> and a couple of eagles. And, and put on a lot of miles. Right. Yeah, and, you know, that goes, it goes without saying that that's going to change later this year and the, and the shoe's going to be on the other foot. Well, we all have our so experiences, yeah, exactly. sure. Right. And I'm, I'm excited yeah. to share all that, too. Right, yep. With caribou and moose and... Yeah, so... Sure. Yeah, I mean, you're... The other thing is, is most people will are content and i shouldn't say most people many photographers are content to drive up get a snapshot a a good snapshot Mm -hmm. and and move on and you know it's different for i'm willing to go sit in the same spot for every morning at five for three weeks to get the image that i want knowing Mm -hmm. full well that it may not happen today you know and and i know you you two are both the same. Obviously, with video, that's even it, you add a degree of difficulty there. Well, and you know we've been talking about this for what a month, mm-hmm. and you you draw up all these scenarios in your head, right? right? And you're like, okay, so this first morning we're gonna, I think I'll right. just work on the dancing, and then this next morning I'll work on right. close-ups. 
I think we'll be lucky to have one good morning. Yeah, right? we, we may have one good morning yeah. unless the weather changes. And, and that's, sure. you know, that's a risk that you take no matter what you're going after. But Yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible not to conjure up those ideals. But you really, when you get here, like when I arrived, it's like, okay, you know, everything's off the table. And I just want to experience this and, and have you show mm -hmm. us how this is done. And fingers crossed that it works out. But if it doesn't. You know that's okay too. That's part of right. what we do. That's the risk we take for all these elements. And with perseverance, as you've proven here, by you know yeah. if you'll do it for three weeks, it will work out. We don't have the luxury of three weeks, but right. you know yeah. the, the days that we're here, hopefully it will. But that's the that's wherever we go. That's part of it. But mm -hmm. in a new place, it's it's I think it's smart to approach it with just a blank slate, especially if you're with somebody who knows, right. and then just accept it as 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 it unrolls in front of mm -hmm. you because it's impossible. To have totally. expectations because it may be less and still be great or maybe way beyond that or in a right. different in a whole different area mm -hmm. you know we sage gross you know are predicted to be the highlight if it works out for this trip for photos right. but we don't know what we're going to see exactly if there are seven golden eagles in front of my lens that's okay too <laughs> right absolutely so, yeah well, and that's you know we're we take a risk going on the ground because if the birds do well, wait a move, minute, the golden eagles could come for us when we're on the ground. They they only like Canadian bacon, so <laughs> Canadian bacon. we're good. <laughs> there we go. Um, I'm only kidding. But they, you know, on the ground you do take more of a risk because you lose a little bit of mobility because you can't sure. move fast. And if the birds do move off toward a female, mm -hmm. you know, that's Tomorrow. that's a chance we take. We'll go um, so if they do that, are you able to slowly? Yep. Again, you're going to spend an hour yeah. getting to that next place. Right? Yeah, and it might not take you an hour. It you may be able to move in faster because by that time, they understand that you're there, and they've accepted it. Um, so the the buffer zone gets a little bit smaller. Whoops, excuse me. Um, gets a little bit smaller, and then you know there, they may stop strutting for a minute, but once you relax and let them relax they'll they'll continue as the sun comes up they can see more so they're not as jumpy um so yeah we we do have a little bit of mobility but not like you know i have a friend um in northern wyoming great photographer and he doesn't he is always in his vehicle doesn't photograph anything outside of his vehicle outside of maybe bighorn sheep um just gets some spectacular images which is surprising but the guy is he he is somebody who believes in you know not taking any chances on disturbing the birds but he's mobile I so see. if the birds move he he can move with them they're used to the vehicle right he can move with them and he's just fine i think in that scenario i understand that it makes sense and if yeah. you can do that it's just a lot of places i go there aren't roads right and, yeah and exactly. i'm not photographing yeah. an animal on a lek that i'm worried that yeah. you know i could dis yep. especially an animal that is potentially considered threatened at some point um but in this scenario i, I could see that making sense if that mm -hmm. possibility was there too and with video it's impossible right True. you just couldn't yeah. do it out of a car right you have to be on sticks mm -hmm. that's the other thing so i have a uh a beanbag that I shoot off sometimes. And you can get a in solid base. Yeah. No, even oh, on the ground. On the ground. Yeah. Is it worth, you know, you don't get any panning and you don't get right. any of that smooth motion, but you could 
set it down and have a really solid base and shoot video, mm-hmm. would that be better? Or how tall is this grass out there? Are we having to, I mean, do you want to be 16 we'll, inches off the ground to we'll shoot be, so that uh, you can you shoot know, over slightly stuff? above eye level? But in that, in that situation, you also just use the topography and, and position yourself a little bit lower mm-hmm. um, than the bird. Okay. So you can have your t- tripod, you know, you're about knee height, mm-hmm. um, but you can have your tripod set and still be able to get over the grass to the bird and have have the image still look like you're at eye level. So yeah, Can you, you set just, up uh, blinds too or hides? You or? know, sage grouse are tough. Definitely can for uh, sharp tail and prairie chickens that's the only way to fly i mean i've i haven't tried uh with the ghillie suit and i haven't uh, you know the ghillie suit's amazing what had a pronghorn like three feet behind me in a ghillie suit and they're mm-hmm. by nature very nervous animals and he just fed all the way behind us um with uh with sage grouse it's it's a lot more difficult I could say, you know, in a, with a ground blind that didn't have a floor in it and you didn't have it staked to the ground, you're probably okay. You, you, you could it. move it slowly. Um, but they do. They move around the area, so you're not necessarily tied to a location. You know, like like your lens, um, 200 to 400 with a teleconverter in it, you've got a little bit more flexibility. Uh, if somebody's shooting... You know, a fixed, uh, fixed focal length lens, which you know everybody. That friend that I was telling you about shoots with an 800.56 most of the time, and maintains good distance. But fixed focal length that makes it really tough, especially on a sage grouse. Like unless you you know you're happy with getting some wide angle, you know, environmental type portraits as well as the potential for the extreme close up. And but you don't have flexibility wherever you're at, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But I, you know, as far as moving a blind on a sage grouse, like some people have done it successfully. Uh, there's a new company, and I can't off the top of my head remember the name of them, but they make specifically photo blinds. So they're instead of having the straight vertical walls, it's an angled wall, so you can have the tripod legs mm-hmm. spread, spread and and it's angled out um and they're a lot lower to the ground so you can get at that eye level and they have you know some of the guys have gone out and tested them on sage grouse and been very successful so it's tougher but it's doable i just like the mobility of you know like the ghillie suit it's a it's a personal blind and you should explain what that it's is perfect it's perfect for people that don't yeah, it is. i saw yeah. it in your garage and it just it blends in it's like you've got sage yeah, all area. over you. Yeah. So a ghillie suit is basically, you know, a jacket material. Um, the one that I have is just a real lightweight. Uh, it's like a mesh base. Mesh, yeah, yeah, basically. And then it has string sewn onto it. So the, the string basically is colored uh, the same as a terrain. I have one for snow, have one for uh, so the like, sage. Like 10,000 little tiny dreadlocks. Right, exactly. (laughs) It really breaks up your form, and it's a yeah, it's amazing what you will see, what happens in front of you when you have that thing on that you would never see 
Does it have a hood or a face mask? It has a face mask that you pull over, and that's the part that I hate the most. Um, I have a friend that's got one that has a a hood, and if I were to make a suggestion, I would never buy the one that you pull the face mask over because you'll try to move, and all of a sudden you're trying to look out the ear hole, and there's no hole there, so... (laughs) It uh, having the hood, you know exactly where it's going to be all the time, and your face is pretty much open. Right. So yeah, you yeah. just put some paint on your some camouflage paint on yeah, your face you or like, something if you need to. Look like the Duck Commander. Sure. So we're about an hour into this. I got one more question. Do you have any more? I I just had one quick one. Um, is the for ghillie suits? How easy are they to find for people? Like I don't have one. Is it something you can just find on the internet pretty quickly? You're or? probably not going to be successful finding one here no not for this trip no thank you Uh, well i know where there is one but anyway (laughs) you didn't you say it was a double yeah Yeah, it's a double that one's definitely big enough to fit two people in so is that like like if you dress up in in a costume of a horse is that how you wear it oh no i think it's side by side each guy gets gets one arm and it's definitely side by side yeah okay you have to help each other with camera settings and that kind of thing who gets to focus one focuses and one yeah. looks or what? Yeah, one one looks, the other pushes the shutter. So they're not. How pricey are they? They're really reasonable. I mean, you can find them, you know, on on some discount websites. You can find and a discount ghillie suit is just fine because it does the same thing, breaks up your form. The main thing you're looking for is color. Right to match your habitat. To match the habitat. Right. Yeah, and uh, so you're looking anywhere from fifty to sure. one hundred and twenty dollars. Okay. And there is a difference in quality, but like I said, breaking up your form is is the primary function of it. And once you accomplish that, and I'll take ghillie material also and wrap it around my lens hood. You don't have to ghillie the whole camera, and you certainly don't want to, because Mm -hmm. if you start to get string, you know, inside your your focus ring, or or if you have a a zoom and it's, you know, push-pull type Mm -hmm. trombone style, you definitely don't want to get a string in there. No. So don't add, you know, too much. Just rubber band a little bit in the front of your lens hood, and that breaks up your face and it does what it needs to do. Cool. So that's kind of my question. I showed up with camouflage. Mm-hmm. I brought a couple of big, probably, I don't know, 10 feet by 10 foot squares of camouflage. Mm-hmm. What do we do? I mean, do we just go with camouflage and just kind of ease in there and just call that good or do we because i can see this yard still happening with me right so i got a big old bunch of material i got my tripod i'm trying to wrestle that camera and then i got a microphone stuck in my pocket and and you know i look like a yard so walking out there trying to get i'm just really worried about but this this uh camouflage i have is a lot like a ghillie suit right so it's got It's not just a single piece of fabric. All these little pieces are cut out. And like it's got, leafy wear. Yeah, leafy. so it's got, it's not like a, it's not going to make a perfect shape around you. It's right. going to have all the like tentacles sticking out so it breaks up the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. So is it worth yeah. it to try to so, do that? I mean, do I just put that over me like the Hunchback of Notre Dame? And I, can, I, can, I can help carry something. I'll take, take the microphone. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I will tell I, you what I've... I just wanted to paint a pretty funny picture. Yeah, I no, can, it, I'm it could be that in my way. head, this is going to be a yeah, pretty Yeah, this funny. big, weird silhouette and, coming. And the last thing I want to do is screw it up for right. you guys, right? So I want to be as prepared as possible so that yep. when we go in here, obviously we don't do anything to the birds at all, but 
we all walk away with what we want. With the, yeah, images and video. And I'll tell you, something that I've done lately is I will gilly, basically gilly the camera. And then I will be camouflaged, but I won't have the ghillie on because you're typically keeping the camera in front of you all the time between you and the birds. And so once that form is broken, it, it breaks your form up. And So and if I'm yeah. shooting, you guys don't shoot with tripods. Nobody needs to do that anymore, but I have to. So I can almost have like this yeah. big thing in front of me that conceals me. And typically, honestly, the, the one thing that I do use, I don't, you know, don't have the knee pads, but I have a, a turkey vest. It's basically a turkey hunting vest, and it's got a built-in seat. Mm-hmm. And so I I do use a tripod on the leck because it I still have the mobility that I need. And if, if I'm stationary, I fold the seat out, sit back, get comfortable, because you are going to be there for a long time. And... Uh, and then just set the tripod up so that, you know, when the sun comes up, I'm ready to shoot. And I don't have a lot of unnecessary movement. I think you mentioned that on a, either a previous discussion or a podcast when we were talking yeah. about this. was, you know, the fact that I typically don't use a tripod for still photos. But in this scenario, it would be a good idea because it will keep the yeah, lens still versus any movement mm-hmm. going to potentially get their attention, right? Yep. So maybe we need to what, plan what, for that. Describe tomorrow. that movement. So if, like, I have a... A map box at the end of my camera so i can mm-hmm. slide a filter in mm-hmm. so as the light's changing i'm cutting the light i'm putting right. neutral density in if i pull a neutral density filter and i'm going really slow yeah you're fine and i go up there and i slide it in there is that movement acceptable it, is it it'll get the, fast movement that they don't want to see the fast movement might send them off the slow movement is you know likely going to get their attention but they'll relax faster but you just want to minimize all that minimize, you just don't want to yep. do yeah. Once you're set, you should probably try to stay, stay set. Stay as stationary as you can. So I don't want to play the light. I don't want to go in with no filters and say, well, I'll start shooting just as the sun's coming up. I got enough light. And then as the sun starts rising, I would normally would just add neutral density right. to cut the light. But now yeah, no, I, I can... probably should just go in with neutral density and wait till I got enough no, light to shoot. I, I think as long as you're cautious, I think you'd be fine. I think you'd be fine it's dropping be an your experience. Sure. filter. It's I'm like, excited. I am too. It's nothing like, I mean, you talk about photographing or filming a moose. Yeah, no well, other other I mean, it's just no, like a slam dunk, what? right? What? What? <laughs> we don't talk about moose on this one. What? Slam dunk my <laughs> Well, no, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, it's still a lot of work, but I've done Jeez. it so much, I don't really worry about, I mean, if I know we're right. going to go do that tomorrow, I don't worry about it. Right. Because you, this have to, has got you know me what so to like, yeah, Okay, right, I want to come away with some good right. stuff. Mm-hmm. what is going to be the best chances for success? Yeah, that's it's, it's, I, that's it's definitely a learning curve for us right now. So that's that's the challenge yeah. and the fun thing. And and that's the cool thing about our podcast because we're right. going to, if it's all, all about learning, all yeah. goes as planned for this, the next few days, we're going to do one every day. Right. And we're going to update people with the fun that we're having, the successes mm-hmm. or not and why, and uh, take everybody along for this experience to help help shine some light on what it's like well so. i think the funnest podcast is going to be when we come back and say what worked and what right. didn't work and yep. how right. we tripped you know how i walked in with 75 pieces of gear and <laughs> tried to get it to work and yep yeah. it'll be no it'll cool. be it'll be a good time yeah so tune in for the next podcast and hear what happens on day two stay in tuned. wyoming yes yep. stay tuned it's going to be fun
find us on wildandexposed.com. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. Right? That's important because that's, you know, if they want to learn more about us and what we do and find other podcasts that we've done before that are great covering other subject matter, other species. I am going to say this one ranks right up there, though. Yeah. If you're starting out, you should go right to this one. Well, I like this one a lot. I like like this one, but I, I like some of the other ones, too. I do. Yeah, this one's, one's good, though. I have a couple of favorites. Yeah, I have a couple of favorites. Those weren't mouse ears. <laughs> Those are antlers. Um, so, wildandexposed.com. Wildandexposed.com is our website. Instagram? And my Instagram is uh, Mark Raycroft Wild Photo. And what's your Instagram? Uh, what is my Instagram? Ron.wwimages at. Nope, that's my email. <laughs> at wild. get the direct message. Ron. <laughs> Underscore WW Images is my Instagram handle. And mine is Michael Morrow Photo. Right. That's it. Right. But at the same time, anybody who's looking for us and wants to learn more about us as a collaborative team that we are or as individuals, those links are all on wildandexposed.com. You can find our Instagram links, our website links, and, uh, and what we're working on and the excitement coming down the road. And tomorrow will be another podcast in Wyoming. So thanks for tuning in. <laughs>